Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Second Timothy chapter number 16 uh, today. We're going to read a few verses of scripture there. We started last week our series on practice makes perfect or progress, as as some say. Uh, we want to continue with that here this morning. Second Timothy chapter number three and verse number 16. The Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And you thought you was just reading a story each day. But look at all of the benefits of the word of the Lord. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And so this morning we're going to talk about the path, the path of scripture today. We're talking about practice makes perfect or other things in our lives that uh, aid us in our walk with the Lord and Diving and submerging ourselves into the word of God is one of those things that will help us with our daily walk and maturing in the things of the Lord. Amen. How many know that you need the word of the Lord in your life? And I'm talking about more than just whenever we come to church and have it read to us in a moment, just like I just finished doing. We need uh, the word of the Lord in our life. And the hope today is this, is if you don't realize that, hopefully you will uh, before we're finished today and make that a daily part of your life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you today. God, we're grateful again, Lord Jesus, for being here. We're grateful, Lord God, for those that have come out, Lord Jesus, God, to the house of the Lord this morning. We pray, oh God, that you're able to help us, Lord, as we look at the word of God today, that it would aid us, Lord, and give us instructions, Lord, we know on how to live. I pray, Lord Jesus, help us to take that instruction, take that guidelines, Lord, that it gives and apply it, Lord Jesus, appropriately, Lord, to our life. And we will not fail, Lord, to thank you and praise you, God, for what you do, Lord, through and by your word and the love the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. The church say amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning in Jesus' name. <clears throat> Here's the fact of the matter, folks. We talk about our lives before Christ as being a life of bondage. We uh, mirror that with the Old Testament Israelites being in Egypt and being in bonds for years until they were delivered. Uh, through and by the hand of Moses, and they celebrated Passover and all those things, and now there's a life of freedom that they have, and so there's bondage and there's freedom, so to speak. But living in freedom requires different skills than living in bondage. Living in freedom requires different skills than living in bondage. Whenever it comes to uh, the world of those that are incarcerated or inmates, 97% of prisoners are eventually released back into society. 97% are usually somewhere along the line uh, released back into society. But the difficulty is this. It's the transition from being bound 
in prison and then being released back into the world again that seems to pose a problem for those that have been incarcerated. As a matter of fact, statistics say that 30% of adult offenders released from state prisons across our United States are rearrested within the first six months. First six months. I mean, you, you went from bondage to freedom. You think, man, you want to keep this thing going. But within the first six months, 30% are arrested again and put back into incarceration. As a matter of fact, statistics also say that within three years of the release, that percentage that will return to prison increases to about 66%. About 66% after three years going to find themselves back uh, in prison. Amen. And so there's a problem with the transition then from going from being bound to being free. I know with certainty back in, up in Ohio where we did some of our first prison uh, princess within conferences up there in Ohio in Marysville, uh, those prisoners, and they, they will tell you and, and the people that are over them will tell you that uh, whenever it becomes around this time of year and it's about ready to transition over into winter, they know very well what type of crime they need to commit in order to get put back into the system for about six months so that they'll have three meals a day and don't have to worry about the cold weather. I'm just telling you, they know it well. And so they operate and maneuver the system in such a way they'll do whatever's necessary to get themselves back in during the winter months to have three meals a day and to uh, have warmth. Amen. And so the, 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 the difficulty then, though, is re-entering society. The obstacles that whenever they leave prison that they're going to have to deal with. Many of them have carried things from their previous life all the way through the prison system, and it's with them whenever they get out on the other side of the doors. Uh, some of those things might just be as simple as this. While they've been incarcerated, they've had control over their daily lives. Someone's told them when to get up. Someone's told them when to go to bed. Someone's told them when to eat. Someone's told them when they're going to have their extracurricular activities. They've told them when and what they're going to do every single hour of their, their virtual day. But now, whenever they're released from that and they have a life of freedom, they have no one telling them when to get up, go to bed, what to do, when to do, or how to do. And so it's a big dynamic change because when someone had control over their life, now they have all that authority back into their own life to do with it as they may. And that's where a lot of them get into some hideous trouble. So they got to understand that they got choices to make that they didn't have to make for however many years they were incarcerated. They got choices now to really, really make. And they got to make good choices, good decisions through the process. Not only that, when some get out, what do they do? They resort back to the friends that they had before they ever got in. So they resort back to the old friends that they had. They haven't had a chance to make any new friends. Or for that matter, maybe someone doesn't give them a chance because of their past. And so they're trying to, trying to find out how to do this thing. And with all that being said, the justice system, the, the Center for Justice and Reconciliation, they formal, formulated a, a program that has 10 keys preparing prisoners for reentry into society. And the 10 keys are basically broken down to four categories. Number one, building constructive relationships. They need to learn how to do that. Number two, how to address needs in their life. Number three, contributing to society. How are they going to contribute or give a contribution to society? And number four, accessing their strengths and weaknesses, knowing their weaknesses. All right. And so now with all of this into place, here they are. 
they're intentionally released from prison back into society, but statistics are against them. Their past is against them. And without any clear details or clear plans or specific instructions on how to live, most of them's not going to, I know it sounds weird, and most of them will not successfully make it through being free. They will not successfully make it through being free. They will go back into the system because... Living in freedom requires different disciplines for living in bondage. Someone say amen. And God knew this, not just on a literal level, but also on a spiritual level. Different practices are necessary for when you live the life of sin compared to those when you're going to live a life of freedom in Christ Jesus. The Bible says in Exodus chapter number 19, Verse number one, and we'll go to verse number three and six. The Bible says in the third month when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. Look at verse number three. And Moses went up unto God and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain saying, thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, how I bear you on eagles wings and brought you unto myself. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. So not long after the Lord had delivered them from Egyptian bondage, 400 plus or so years of being bound. We're not talking about a generation, but generations of people that have been bound. He let them know very plainly this, that whenever we get you free and you are delivered, it's going to be a different life from what you have known. And it's going to require something different from you than what you had known during those years of being in slavery. And he told them very plainly, he clarified, in order to successfully follow me, there's some things that you're going to need to do in order to successful, be successful in your freedom out from under the thumb of Egypt. There's some things that you're going to need to do. And the, the, the inverse of that is true as well. There's going to be some things that you don't need to do in order to be successful on the other side of this bondage free. And so the Lord was very clear. What he was doing for them was this. He says, I'm going to set you up with a different set of guidelines, a different set of rules and directions, if you will. They're not like those whenever you were in bondage. These are a new set of rules because now you're living a life of freedom. But just because you have a life of freedom doesn't mean there isn't any rule. Going out there and you start going down the highway at 70 miles an hour on 64 between here and Princeton. You just see. <laughs> Amen. There's still rules. There are still rules. But I find it sometimes that we have problems going from bondage to freedom because of the challenges we face are just some of the literal challenges that real prisoners face. And that is this. Some of us still go back to the old friends. Mm-hmm. We go back to the old friends or we, we, we don't have good coping strategies. Amen. Uh, we, we, we are looking for acceptance. All these things coming down around us. But our deliverer, Jesus Christ, he's earned the right to instruct us, the delivered, on how to live free. Notice what the Lord says to the children of Israel over and over again. He does this all the time in the Old Testament. He says, I am the Lord thy God who brought thee out of Egypt. Amen. I am the Lord thy God which delivered thee. 
And many times after he tells them that I'm the one that delivered you, he'll, he'll come up with like Exodus 20 and tells them, and thou shalt have no other gods before me. Huh? And he goes through the Ten Commandments, or he gives an instruction, or he gives a guideline. But he prefaces all that on this. I'm the one that delivered you. And if I'm the one that brought you out of your bondage, then you should be able to trust me and rely upon me to give some guideline and direction on how to live your free life. I mean, what better person to depend upon and be able to put trust in than the one that got you out of the pit where you were? Huh? I think if somebody helped me out of a very dire situation, amen, that was life-threatening, that I would be able to trust whatever they said concerning how to continue on my way. And he says, since I've been your deliverer, I'm the one that brought you out. I'm the Lord your God that brought you out of bondage. Then just listen to some of the guidelines. Listen to some of the instructions that I have. Because I'm not going to lead you astray. I'm the one that brought you out. I'm the one that brought you out. And so he's trying to tell them, here I am. I'm the Lord your God. So I have the authority. I should be authority in your life to be able to direct you and help you. He didn't want them to miss that. Since I'm the one, does everybody get that? Since I'm the one that delivered you, I should be a one to be able to give guidelines for your life so you can be successful in this quote-unquote freedom living for the Lord. In other words, since he was the deliverer, he should also be able to be our lawgiver. Our lawgiver. Amen. And he was and is with real reason. Israelites were free. He wanted to lead them on into freedom. It was just getting them. See, he said, whenever I brought you out, my intention was not just to bring you out. That was the Lord. He said, but to bring you in. Right? So it wasn't just to bring you out of Egypt, but to bring you into the land of promise, the land of Canaan. See, there's, there is a transition space between Egypt and Canaan. Between Egypt and Canaan, there is a road. There is a journey. God said, I didn't just want to get you out and leave you in the transition space. He said, but I want to get you all the way into the promised land. He said, but the only way we're going to make this journey successful is if you allow me to set some guidelines, some instruction, some direction to get you from where you are to where you need to be. See, when they missed some of that, it was the 40 years of being caught in the transition area. Huh? Wilderness warning, or wandering rather, maybe warning too. Wandering for 40 years in the wilderness. Why were they doing that? They did not all follow the instruction or the guidelines that the Lord did. And as a result of it, they're stuck in transition. They are stuck between bondage and freedom in reality. They're stuck from where they once were and not yet totally where they need to be. 40 years. But whenever they started to follow the instruction and the guidelines of the Lord and with his help, the one that delivered them and abide by what he was, what he was giving unto them, they made it finally into their promised land. Now, I submit to you today that the word of God is our complete freedom guideline. Amen. The word of God. Within the Old Testament, yeah, we have, all kinds of, we have all kinds of commandments. We have all kinds of statutes and principles. There's, there's the Ten Commandments that can serve as a core, uh, and that's good and fine. But in reality, it's more than just Exodus 20 where the Ten Commandments are. It's the Bible from Genesis to Revelation that is a very good guideline, very good tool of instruction on how to get from here to there. From how to get from bondage to freedom and how to live a life of freedom according to the word of the Lord. How to transition from old nature to new nature. 
Pursuing godliness as the New Testament scripture speaks of it. It's him telling us what is necessary that once we've acquired his righteousness, because ours is as filthy rags, the Bible says, there's none righteous, no, not one. But after we've acquired his righteousness, how to keep that or maintain that righteousness in our life and allow that righteousness to transform us with, into a new nature with Christ Jesus. Because his purpose, again, is to bring us in. Amen. There's a real side to this whole transformation thing. And God's word helps us with transformation. And that's one of the reasons why we need God's word daily in our life because it is helping us with the transformation. It's like the map that we consult in order to get to our next destination. We need the word of God. But the, the difficulty of the matter is there's a lot of things that's competing with the word of God today. Not, not maybe in a literal sense, but in a societal sense, there's a lot of things that's competing with the word of God. You can go to a library right now or to a bookstore. They got more self-help books. I mean, they, they can help you out of depression. They can help you out of this. They can help you out of that. And you get the right books, honey. You can read, you know, five steps, ten steps, twelve steps out of self-help. You do anything. Amen. But in doing so, people have gotten out of the bondage of sin into a life of freedom of Christ. And they went and grabbed self-help books than the self-help book. I'm telling you the truth. I have no problem with those things complementing this, but they should not replace this. They should not replace this. I'm telling you, folks, I, I've been alive on this earth for 40 years. I've been uh, since eight years old, 32 years. I've had the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And I'm thankful for that. And I'm telling you, through the stuff that I've been in my life, I have found more times than not things that were, were going on in my own life paralleled in the word of God paralleled in the word of God to some degree find it there loss of loved ones sickness disease death uh, depression uh, uh, and, and anxiety uh, anger frustration see it all in God's word infidelity adultery fornication all of it in God's word lack of finances surplus what to do with surplus of finances all in God's word time and time again children that are acting up Yeah. Yes. Jealousy, strife, yes. ambition. In God's word, it's there. Some of the whacked out things that happen in society, you'd find them in God's word. Somebody taking somebody else's wife or their incestuous relationships. God's word. It's not that I just see the stories, but the stories also tell me, amen, the solution, if you will, how to contend with them, how people felt as they were going through them. Because that's the other thing. Well, no one knows how I feel. I've heard some people, man, scraping boils off their body and singing the woes over sickness and disease that had ravaged their body right here in Scripture. I'm serious. And so, this is my big self-help book. <laughs> it's my big self-help book. And I, I, maybe I realize it might not be indexed in such a way. It says, well, there's the bad kids. But if you do just a little diligence on your part, you can find it. <laughs> you can find it. And so, it's given us complete freedom guidelines, the word of the Lord. Amen. Now, 
here's a, a, a freedom perspective. In today's world, and I, I'm, I'm out of the secular work environment, but yet before even I transition back in the day with you as surveyor, they did what was called uh, you know, self-evaluations or performance reviews where they would sit down with the employees of the company and they sometimes were annual, semi-annual, or even maybe every three months. Sometimes they even got a little bit more. Uh, they did these little mini interviews uh, and reviews that took place more often because you don't want to wait a whole year. <laughs> you don't want to wait a whole year on some of the performance reviews because you might want to get that, that, that thing straightened out before a year goes by. Okay, and, and so they had these little mini reviews and they would have these conversations. They would give you what's called feedback, feedback. Now, the important thing of feedback was this feedback was telling you maybe, man, you're a point on doing this. You're doing great. That is tremendous. But there was other aspects of the feedback that maybe wasn't necessarily positive for the one that was receiving it. It wasn't just everything that they were doing well, but maybe where some improvements needed to be made. That was the point and purpose of the performance reviews or the feedback. Matter of fact, some of the things that they presented was changes that they should probably make as soon as possible. Rather than waiting a long time, do it as soon as possible. Some areas that needed work that, you know, you couldn't really drag your feet over. You really need to get them done. And so they would give this emphasis on this feedback that they were giving. And uh, so that whenever it came to the annual review, they wouldn't have as much to talk about if they did some of these smaller uh, mini reviews. But here was always the challenge of performance reviews. The challenge is this is that the person that is being reviewed, if, you're, if I'm reviewing you and I'm giving you some positive, your perspective on what your performance was may be different than what the employer's. Someone say amen. And what the employer's perspective may have been. And that was the challenge. That someone saw you or your employer saw you differently than what you saw yourself. Myself, I'm walking in high cotton. I got this bull by the horns. I got this thing down. Man, I tell you what, I couldn't be doing a better job. The employer steps up and says, I see a little room for improvement. Boom. Devastated, right? Room for improvement? What are you talking about? Man, I'm the best employee you got. Nobody going to help me here today, are you? Nobody going to help me here today. Because what? The worker considers good as performance on their side might not be the same what their manager considers to be good performance. Someone say amen. I didn't know I was going to be getting into this deep water. What I'm saying is this. We are living a life before the Lord here this morning and we need a freedom perspective that whenever we think we got this whole thing sewn up in a bag of chips living for God, Every once in a while, it's good to ask the manager what he thinks about the performance. It's good to see what the manager got to say. Because here's the thing. The paycheck's coming from there. The hire or fire is at his discretion. It doesn't matter if I think I got five stars. If he thinks I got three, I need to measure up to what his expectation is. someone say amen amen and the thing is God through his word many times gives us a clarification concerning his expectations of our performance huh because it's one thing 
It's one thing to recognize our need for improvement. And it's a whole other thing whenever the Lord recognizes our need for improvement. But the word of God helps us with that in our lives. It, it teaches us. If, we will, if you will, I'm telling you. If you if you if you if you slacked off this year concerning reading the word of the Lord, I challenge you pick it back up as soon as you can. But for sure in the next year, pick it back up. And I challenge you read this word each day and it's going to help you with real life, real life. If you read this word each day, it's going to help you. It will answer questions before they ever got off your mind or out your mouth to somebody else if you just read the word of God. I challenge you, if nothing else, listen, Pastor McGee, you've heard me say this before. If nothing else, pick up the book of Proverbs, right? 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. Read one chapter each day of the month because the book of Proverbs has some of the most practical, you hear me, practical everyday wisdom. It will blow the top off your head. Every time I read the book of Proverbs, I am still wowed about all of the practical wisdom it has in there about family, life, relationships. It is amazing. But you got to read the, the guideline book. you got to read the instructions. But whenever I do that, you know what? It's not about just me reading and saying, well, that's where, uh, yeah, that's where, that's where Dennis Powell needs to improve right now. I'll put his name right there in the margin, Dennis Powell. And there's, oh, yeah, Brenda Wendell, God help her. That's good for her. Although I do admit to you, I have done that in the past at a few areas of my Bible with some of y'all's names. But um, I'm serious on that. <laughs> I might have to scribble that out before I die one of these days for anybody that may get them. But it's not just me seeing where this may be helpful to somebody, whatever they're going through. But it's about me looking at Paul McGee. And saying, you know what? And you'll find those. So in case you all think, well, bless God. My name, I have me next to some of the places too. And dated that I needed that particular scripture on that particular day to help me not just with positive things. It may be something that I had wrong in my spirit that I just write out there. Paul, this day, I needed that. God needed to speak that to me today. But you know what? I'd never heard it if I didn't read it. That day, Brother Terry would come and go. The day that I needed it, if I wasn't faithful with it, it'd been come and gone. But I needed it that day, that day I read, and boom, there it was, exactly what I needed. Found in God's word, what? To help me just with my real life. My real life. My life of freedom. So it doesn't just help me to see whenever I'm on. It helps to see me when I'm off. It just helps see me when I'm right. It helps to see me if I'm wrong. If I allow it full play in my life not just looking at it when it's telling me i'm doing good yeah that's me baby worshiper Woo, yeah i got it. no 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 but it shows me the times that oh eh, be angry and sin not okay yeah yeah i might need that today or before the end of the day i found out i needed that Someone say amen. Because looking into the word, as James told us, looking into the world, word of God really gives us a spiritual reflection. The word of God, James said it, that it is like a mirror. It's like a mirror that we look into. And we look into the mirror of God's word, and it can show us where, you know, things are off or things are not quite right. And the, 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 the hope is this, is that we're not just looking at it or hearing it, but we're a doer of it, he said. 
Because a man that is just a hearer, he looks into it, he sees what's incorrect, and he goes away and forgets what manner of man he is, James said. But the one that looks into it and is a doer of the word, allows it to have impact upon his real heart and life, he's going to make some type of correction. He's going to adjust what needs adjusted, right? How many got up this morning and looked in the mirror? Does anybody look in the mirror this morning? We all did. Sister Bridget said, we all did. She said, I'll talk for you. <laughs> Thought you didn't. She said, I know you did. <laughs> said, we all did, right? Sister Brenda, did your hair look like your hair does right now when you looked in the mirror this morning? Did, did your hair look like that this morning? Oh, really? I have over here on the right side a notorious calic. And a lot of times as my hair dries out during service, it starts going, hmm. During church, whenever I woke up this morning, son, that thing was, well, you know what I did? I got water and hairspray and a brush, and I was scratching that thing down and messing with trying to get it down before I left because when I came in here, and it might be sticking out right now, but whenever I came in here, I wanted to look somewhat presentable before you, and I feel somewhat confident today that I'm somewhat put together because I paid attention to what I saw in the mirror. Here, let's just do a challenge. If this isn't all that important, amen, let's next Sunday morning, everybody come in without looking in the mirror. Don't touch anything. Just come in as you are, just as you got out of bed. Everybody's like, freak show. It is the month of Halloween. What is going on with this preacher? You're like saying, no way. Bob says, I have no problem. He says, I got that thing shade. We're doing good, you cheater. But seriously, would anybody come to church like that? No, but sometimes we try to live our everyday life like that when we avoid the mirror of God's word. We are more interested in how we look physically than how we look spiritually. We look spiritually into the Lord. The Bible says that it is the word. We are washed by the word of God. That's the reason why in the Old Testament, the tabernacle furniture, the labor, it was a, a shadow of the word of God. The priests would go there. It's not just water, but it was had that overlaid with brass, and those that brass came from the actual mirrors of the ladies in the Old Testament. There was burnished brass that they looked into as a mirror in the Old Testament. They gave their mirrors for the purpose of overlaying that labor with brass so they weren't just looking in the reflection of the water but the the brass itself had a reflective property and so when the priest went by there they could see themselves when you look into the mirror you see yourself and then every once in a while you make notes in the margin about other people <laughs> but primarily you see yourself in the mirror of God's word the mirror of God's word now here's the thing God's word is given us directions to the destination and I emphasize the destination amen it can be frustrating sometimes when uh, an employer expects more but then doesn't provide the the training or the how to get to the improvement like you know you need to do this better so take care of it and so, while, while some of us, there's different levels of people, some people have the knowledge of what is necessary or the how to make that improvement. Some of us have that knowledge already. The disconnect is just in applying the knowledge we have. 
But then there's other people that don't have the knowledge on how to get to that place. And what they need is to be shown, to be instructed on how to get from here to there. So there's two, two different aspects of people, even within church life. Some have it, they just don't apply it. Others don't even have the knowledge to apply it. All right? And so what we try to do through, through teaching, through preaching at times, is we are disseminating, we are throwing out, if you will, the how-to process. The how-to process. You know, how to live godly and righteously and all these things, the how-to process. So then here's the, here's the disconnect, though. Here's the difficulty. As much as I can tell people how-to, I can't do it for you. Now, I dressed my kids when they were small because they didn't have the ability to do it. Right? Put their pants on, zip them up, shoes, all that stuff. But, honey, whenever they got old enough, and I can't, I can't stand it sometimes. Trevor sometimes, he's not in here. Trevor sometimes, he's lazy on me. You know, try and get up out of bed, let's get going, all that stuff. And I think what he's really wanting me to do is just help get the socks on while he's buttoning his shirt. You know what I mean? He's wanting me to do what he can do for himself. And there's sometimes I give in and I'm in there and I'm throwing socks on because we got a deadline. We got to get out of here, get to the school or whatever it is, get going, you know. And I, I, I just, you know, I give in. But the fact of the matter is this, that boy knows how to dress himself. He put his socks on, his pants on. He has all the knowledge, although he still likes to wear T-shirts backwards. I don't know what that's about. But nevertheless, he has knowledge on what he can do and how to do it. It's just the disconnect in doing it. Can I say that largely our greatest problems in Christianity is not, I believe, not, not knowing the how-to, but the doing. I'm serious. It's not that no one ever taught me or I was never educated or learned about it. There is some of that, of course, with new people or new converts. But the greatest difficulty is this, applying what we have learned. That's the reason why we go back to things like this on Sunday morning and underline and underscore again for your relationship with God. You need the word of God. You need that guideline. You need that book to help direct you to your destination. Can someone say amen? I heard a hearty amen out there somewhere. Praise God. Glory. Amen. Just not just do it, but we want to point you toward the go, point you in the way. Amen. Because the overall success of the church, I'm not just talking about our church. I'm talking about the church. The overall success of the church is dependent upon it. Another thing, and I'll just touch this real quickly. When we talk about our pathway, the pathway of scripture and helping us in our walk with God, the word absolutely is vital. And it was spoken this past Sunday night. There is another spiritual discipline that is absolutely vital. And that is prayer. Prayer. Prayer is vital. Uh, those that weren't here last Sunday night, we looked at things that uh, we've seen being high marks or accomplishments in the church uh, from this point backward. And some people spoke about those upper room prayers and those long prayer services before service and the involvement and the link. And then we talked about what our vision was for the future of the church. And that came on the board again, came on the board again about full prayer rooms and prayer link. Now here, I, I thought about this all week because I took pictures of those things. And I looked at those things over and over. And so if there's anything that we can for sure, don't have to take delay, don't have to wait on that we can enact right now, prayer. Now here's the thing. I can, I, I've, I've, taught, I've taught series on prayer. There was one time I taught nine, nine sermons in a month on prayer. One, one time, I can get them back out. 
the rebirth of prayer, the, the, the first altar, uh, unfinished altars, those were, those were some of the things did on prayer. Now, here's the thing concerning that. This is, that's something we can start tonight. If it's a vision for the church to have prayer rooms full and more in-depth and, and, and powerful praying in the room, that's something we can start tonight. It don't take money to start it. It don't take money to start it. All it takes is involvement. Now, now see, that's where, that's where I can go to the prayer room, but I can't go around and, well, I guess I could, and just say, come on, Pat, we're going to pray. Come on, Terry, we're going to pray. Come on, Rhonda, we're going to pray. But I can't get you an hour before if you're not here. I can't grab your hand and say, you know, the only real way Jesus could look at his disciples and say, boy, let's go over here to Gethsemane and let's, let's pray for hours because they was there whenever he said it. All right? So that's something we can do. We can do that, we can do that tonight. All in favor, say aye. All opposed? You may leave right now. No, I'm joking. We can do that tonight. That's a vision for the future. What I understood from that, that was something that helped us all along the way in our journey. And so it's going to help us in our future. Prayer. Why? Because it's a part, it's one of those spiritual disciplines. It's one of those things that help us get to our destination. Amen. Prayer. Good foundation of prayer. Amen. And so it's important. Jesus taught his disciples. You know the best way that Jesus taught his disciples how to pray? Yeah, he said when you pray. But you know the best way he taught them how to pray? He started praying. He taught them how to pray by praise. And there's no better way to teach other people, even new people, that come in this church about prayer than having to pray in church. I'm serious. You sent me in a room with somebody that don't know how to pray and just let me get to praying for a while. It won't be long. They'll figure it out. They'll, they'll figure it out. Amen. Some things are just so, you know, they, you say, you know, whenever I learned how to swim, they didn't tell me. They just threw me in the water and you either sunk or swum. You got it figured out. <laughs> Just do it. Just do it. We can give how-tos, and we will continue to do that throughout this church, talk about prayer and uh, how to pray, so to speak. Um, but uh, there are some things that you do just need to apply and do. Amen. Now, when we talk about that, what are some other tools? Some other tools provided in the Scripture to help us in this living life of freedom. God's word, yes. Prayer, yes. Other things that are mentioned there in Matthew 6 was also fasting. It was. Among prayer and other things in Matthew 6 that the Lord was teaching in the Sermon on the Mount was fasting. Brother McGee, I am not good about skipping meals. Sacrifice something. For some, you might take a week and don't drink any caffeine that week. Let me tell you, that'd be a great fast for some. And it'd be a hard one, too, for some. In today's society, skip sugar for a week. Even your car carbohydrates. See, we already hitting the nail on the head right now. Lord, the Lord's helping us today. Skip sugar for a week. It doesn't have to be necessarily all meals. Skip something. Skip sugar for a week. You know, fast we do, and we're coming up again in the month of February, coming up on our media fast of disengaging from electronics and, and things of that nature, and we'll do that for five days. Man, do that. Why? 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 Because it brings a spirit of humility upon us. Again, it takes some of the fight out of us. Yeah. You know, it really does. I, it, 
here some time ago when we were dealing with some of this stuff and I had some meetings and stuff that were coming up and I didn't really know how they were going to go. I were fasting. I'd fast about three days. You know, whenever we went to those sessions and people were getting huffy, I didn't get huffy. You know why? I didn't have the strength to get huffy. My flesh was weak and I was tired. Now, the dynamic could have been different had I not done that. I'm just being 100% honest with you. But since I'd been fasting three days, I just felt like sitting there. It kind of felt good to just sit there, you know, and respond in just a weak voice because I didn't have the strength because I didn't have the food to give the strength. You understand what I'm saying? Amen. So we need those things. So fasting, uh, praying, reading the word. You know, something else that mentioned in Matthew 6 was good for our spiritual discipline and our life of freedom. I know this is going to whatever. He said giving. He said when you fast, when you pray, when you give your alms, none of those were if you fast, if you pray, or if you give your alms. It's when. When. In other words, it was expected. Those are, those are good means of spiritual discipline for our lives. Amen. If we practice them. Amen. I got to move on. Directions by the deliverer directions by the deliverer now here's something to consider you know if you had a group of if you had a group of teenage boys that were sitting around and zach's not in here this morning been really great if zach was in here uh, uh he's not a teenager anymore but uh, teenage boys sitting around that were involved in weightlifting you know and that was the center of their subject and they talking about their different accomplishments and techniques and how many reps of what they had done and during one of the little conversations of of weightlifting uh, there came another one into the room, and, and he heard what they were talking about, about the latest weightlifting technique and about how many reps of this they had done. And he just kind of put up his arm. He wasn't a part of that group, but he just kind of lifted up his arm, you know, and, and did that like a Popeye fashion. And when he did so, he, he said to the rest of the guys this. He said, you see this? He said, all I've lifted to get these is my sandwiches. <laughs> you know, not following a, a gym regimen, not, not, not pressing, not doing to certain repetitions, not sacrificing time or energy to do any of that. He's just like, boom, right there, baby, sandwich lifting from plate to mouth. That's the lifting that I have done. So everybody knew he wasn't sincere. Everybody kind of just laughed it off and knew that lifting sandwiches would never accomplish the go of getting to where they were. But it was just kind of funny. But sometimes, everybody say sometimes. Sometimes we have people that enter into the discussions on spiritual dis disciplines and they talk about their little self-invented tools that quote-unquote replace, if you will, Bible reading. What are you saying? Well, Brother McGee, whenever I'm out in the garden doing my gardening, I just think about scriptures the whole time I'm doing it and it is so therapeutic. I really feel God is close and near to me. You know what? That may be true. But that does not replace you sitting down with God's word. I don't know if anybody's just getting what I'm throwing down right now. But that does not replace your time into God's word. Bishop, I hope you got my back here, brother. Oh, God. Well, Brother McGee, you know, while I have my 30-minute 30, 30 commute to work, I pray on my way to work. That's great. Man, there's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, sometimes without having to keep your eyes on all the traffic, 
and having to be aware while you're behind a wheel, it's good sometimes when nothing else is going on, but it's just you and your creator. You don't have to worry about if you're about ready to be in sideswipe, but you're just totally concentrating in a moment with God and prayer. Nothing wrong with doing those things, but those things need not to replace. I got these puppies for meat and sandwiches. Well, glory. Amen. So we got we to be careful about these little self-invented tools. The Lord's given us the tools. And the fact of the matter is, they don't need any improvement. They don't. They don't need any improvement. Amen. Sometimes, you know, substituting the training in God's word, such as prayer or fasting or Bible reading or whatever it may be, you know, sometimes people cause those other things to replace them because those are the things that they like to do. I'm in my garden. I'm just thinking about the scriptures, brother, and it is such a blessing. Well, bless God. Who wouldn't want to go into the garden if that's your thing? If you love the garden and like to dig stuff up and plant seed and hold and that's Judah. But you know what? Sometimes there's things in God's word that he asks us to do that maybe, you know, when you first get started, just isn't the most enjoyable thing you ever wanted to do. For that matter, I tell my kids all the time, there's a lot of stuff that I don't like necessarily to be doing on a Saturday or have to stay up and do, but it's needful and necessary in order to get the job done. I was telling him some of this stuff, you know, you know, school. Oh, there's just so much schoolwork and stuff like that. And it's taking time from so-and-so. I said, big deal. I told him, I said, just last week, and I said, I stayed up till 2 o'clock in the morning finishing a sermon for the men's conference I was preaching the next day that I'd have to leave by 9 o'clock, 8 o'clock in the morning for. You know what? I didn't want to be up at 2 o'clock in the morning on the day I had to leave to go preach that men's conference. But that's what was necessary in order to be ready and prepared to go. What I'm saying is there's just some things you just got to do. It may not be comfortable. It may not be all feel good. But you know what? Whenever I walked away on Saturday and had done what I felt like God impressed on my heart, I felt all right in my spirit, although I missed hours of sleep because I did what was required. Honey, let me tell you, someday whenever that helps us, to get from here to there it isn't going to matter how bless God I went down and prayed for 30 minutes I really didn't want to be there I put away I mean, it doesn't go none of that's going to matter at that moment none of that's going to matter who cares we do a lot of stuff sometimes we do stuff every day we don't want to do right right but it's necessary it's important it must. Amen. Sometimes we just got to approach some. Here's the thing, and I'll guarantee you this. If you start some of those things, and it is difficult, and it's a problem, you, probably no one will ever just enjoy fasting, you know. But I'm just saying, if you just wade into those things, there are some fruits, there are some perks and privileges that come out of them, back into your life, that supersede, that supersede whatever frustration you had initiating in them. Prayer, you start out in prayer and you're going to hate it. Your flesh is going to hate it. You're not going to want to kneel down and pray. Five minutes seems like 50. Brother McGee, I started and I, I already had ran out of things to pray by two minutes in. I'm not asking you to time yourself. I'm just saying. It is, it is true 
please, if you, if you don't believe me, practice it. And I'm telling you, it is true. The more you do it, the more you'll find yourself going longer doing it. I'm telling you the truth. The, let me do it, say it like this. The more that you do it consistently, the longer you'll find yourself going into doing it. Amen. You'll see things happen in your family, your life, the life of the church. Let me tell you, I give, I, I'm guaranteeing you today that if everybody would practice these disciplines on a regular basis at this church, you would see a dynamic change in this church, every service, and for the future if we consistently, I'm telling you right now, I stand here and I cannot lie, it would forever change the whole dynamic of the church. I'm telling you. I'm telling you, it would. I've experienced it. We've experienced it. I've experienced it too many times in my own ministry. I know when I've grown cold or slack. Why? Because even the dynamics of my own ministry, even preaching other places, is different. Is it still good? Does people I still get touched? Yes. But I know whenever I'm on my own personal game, so to speak, concerning spiritual disciplines, honey, God steps up and goes to bat big time. He does. He does. Not only that, you garner a greater sensitivity to what the Spirit is doing. Amen. Everybody okay? Amen. So, let's, let's not... Uh, Cause some of those other things to replace Bible reading, prayer, fasting, so on and so forth. The Bible says, and uh, he said to the church in Colossae, here's a scripture, Colossians 3.23. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not to men. Some people have used that so uh, perversely. It's kind of like, oh, I was in the garden, I was doing it unto the Lord. Okay. Again, let's not get caught up into this, this mindset that we can just turn anything we do, every hobby that we have into this, you know, godly sanctioned thing of direction for our lives. That's good. Do it. Please pray while you're in the garden. And sing. I was in the garden alone. And he walks with me and talks. Sing that while you're in the garden. But all means find a place to pray when you're not in the garden. Amen. Nothing wrong with you being aware of God and in your hobbies. But take time apart for God. Some people, you know, say, well, I love to go hunting early in the morning. Mike might go hunting early in the morning. It's so quiet and peaceful. You think about That's great. Think about God. But don't forget to make an appointment with God without Bambi going across the field. <laughs> Amen. I know you want something bigger than that, but I'm just giving you Bambi for now. <laughs> Because I don't want to do my thing and ignore his thing. I don't want to do my thing and ignore his thing. Because if I do my thing and ignore his thing, basically what I'm telling God is this. I know better than you do, Lord, how to best transition from who I was to who I need to be. No, 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 no. I'm going to do his thing. Amen. Again, look at this in the, the New Living Translation of our scripture text. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for, for, for correctness. All right. For correction, for instruction, righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished into all good works. Amen. Whenever I look at it in the New Living Translation, because that is not it. 
I made a mistake. That is not it. It says all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true. To make us realize what is wrong in our lives. To correct us when we are wrong and teach us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. All scripture, it's useful to teach us. But it is also makes us realize when we're wrong. And it corrects us. That's awesome. God's word does that. So it's not just saying, boom, you did wrong. It tells you how to correct it. Great self-help book. Great self-help book. You know, it didn't leave you dangling there with just what was wrong. It's telling you how to correct it and teach you what is right. Lastly, I'm running there today. I know I'm up here too long. We're having too much fun. Deception prevention. Daily disciplines. God's word is deception prevention. Deception prevention. It will keep you in tune with what's genuine, what's real, so that you'll know what's fake. Huh? So that you'll know what is false. Whenever you, you practice this word, you read this word, and you, you've heard me say it before, you, you, you can be easily, de- people can be easily deceived if they don't know what is true. You can be easily deceived if you know what's wrong. Fred McGee, we could take him out here along with some of y'all's vehicles out here this morning, especially if you bought them used. And he can start looking at them and saying, that's had a wreck here. <laughs> and we thought, man, this thing, they said it's never been involved in an accident. <laughs> and he could go out there today and he'd say, that's had a wreck and that's had damage there. Why? Because he's practiced this long enough. He knows what's true, what's real, what's proper, what's factory, what's... And he knows when something's been repaired. But he, if, if I would go out there and say, man, that's beautiful. Yeah, nothing's happening. And he'd come out behind me. You're wrong. Yeah, right there. That right there. Things I wouldn't even look, look at and know but look over. He would see because he's familiar. That's his, that's his specialty. That's his business. Make this your business. Make this your specialty. So you know. You know then. You know then when something creeps in like, nope. Mm-mm, that's not right. That, how do you know that's not right? Because I read, you might not even know where at the moment, but you've ingested this or this. I've read somewhere. I remember, and you look it up. Oh, there it is, right there in such and such book and such and such chapter and verse. There it is. That's not right. It's deception prevention. If you were to do, and I'm closing, if you were to do a quick search on Amazon.com today, a lot of people like to buy stuff from Amazon, little smiley face. Oh, yeah. Sister Rona says, all right, let's go. What are we looking at? You need some help? Yeah. If you go on Amazon.com this morning and look up some book titles, here's some of the book titles you would, you would come across involving the word Bible. The Screenwriter's Bible. Guitar Chord Bible. Rock Bass Bible. The Drummer's Bible. The Real Estate Wholesaling Bible. The Sales Bible, the Freelancer's Bible, the Breakup Bible, the Windows 10 Bible, the Wine Bible, the Cannabis Grow Bible, the Barbecue Bible, the Pizza Bible, the Juicing Bible, the Yoga Bible, the Triathletes Training Bible, the Online Dating Bible, the Bookkeeping's Bible, the Cyclist Training Bible, the Shooter's Bible, the New Baseball Bible. Let's play ball! Now, why do you think all of these titles include the word Bible? Yeah. You know why? Because these people, whatever life it is, drummer, bass player, baseball, you know what they're relaying in that moment? 
that this book is a guideline and an instructor on how to. And so if I'm if I'm a if I'm a <laughs> if I'm a salesperson, I'm looking up the sales Bible because I want to be the best salesperson I am. And I know if it's the sales Bible, then it has everything and anything I need to know on how to become a salesman. It has every guideline and instruction I need on how to become a salesman. So society has then used the word Bible because they know what that relates. Every guideline and instruction you need in order to become whatever you attach the word Bible to. And if society has that understanding, then the Bible, without anything else attached to it alone, should tell us. It's informing us. It's instructing us. It is the most complete guideline that we have on how to become children of God. It is authority on the story of humanity from bondage to freedom and the redemption and love story. The Bible. Huh? We'll find, you know, the gourmet cook's Bible. Oh, we're going to make some good fun. I got the Bible on it. <laughs> well, folks, before you go buy yourself the next barbecue Bible, pick up your Bible. And apply it to your life. You want to know about the creator of the universe? Boom, Bible. You want to know about God's, God's relationship with humanity? Look in the Bible. You want to know about Jesus Christ and God coming down to earth? It's there in our Bible. All the details are there. You want to know about a destination and the options for each of us someday in the future? And how to make that path now? The Bible. If you'll stand with me this morning. This is, if this is the preeminent authorities that they would attach to everything, why would we want to look anywhere else? Why would we want to look anywhere else? It's right there in the Bible. It's the, the, path, the pathway of Scripture today. It's going to help us. That's going to help us. That, that practice is going to help us make our, our progress live for the Lord. Now, tonight, I'm usually here an hour before church. Prayer. We can make it happen. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just throwing that out to y'all. I'm not going to call anybody before church. I'm not going to harass anybody after church has started. I'm just telling you that one thing that we had on the board from previous years for future years is something that can happen right now, today. I'm just, I'm just informing you that we don't have to have a committee for that. We don't have to make up a job description for it. We don't have to get funding for it. It can happen today. So I'm just throwing that out to everybody, all right, to everybody. And yet at the same time, I don't think there would be anything that's listed on there that have any greater impact than that. Because it is the fuel that propagates all of it. It's the fuel that propagates all of it. Can we pray right now this morning? Father, I come to you today. I'm so thankful, Lord, for your spirit. I'm thankful. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.